All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for, <clears throat> for tonight. And Lord, we, do, um, we pray for Ben and Jovi and all those that are um, being challenged uh, uh, by, uh, by COVID. And, and Lord, we, uh, we just look to you, uh, Lord, for all things. And we know you're faithful. Uh, Lord, we know that, um, that we're secure in you and um, that there's nothing uh, that escapes you. Nothing going on in our lives, any of the challenges that we have that you're not aware of and that you're certainly not wanting to be a part of. So we thank you for that. Invite you into the service tonight, Lord. Uh, just pray that you would um, <clears throat> speak to our hearts as we, um, as we go through the book of Acts. So we thank you for these things. Praise you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're... Um, we're going to pick up where we left off Sunday morning, which is in Acts 20. And uh, just for two minutes of uh, a little bit of review, uh, and starting in verse 27. And uh, let me give you a little bit of uh, where we're at. Huh? That would help. <clears throat> Paul has, um, has left Ephesus right after the, the riot. Um, he, uh, for preaching the gospel, kind of put the idol makers of Diana, the temple, and Ephesians uh, out of business or put a big dent into their, um, to their profits. So they thought they'd take it out on the Christians, on Paul and uh, <clears throat> those with him. So he, uh, at the end of chapter 19, he leaves, um, he leaves Ephesus. He makes his way back up through Macedonia and back down and ends up spending the winter in Corinth. So in Corinth, he writes the book of Romans. So he's written um, probably at least six books of, of his epistles at this point. And um, we talked a little bit about it on Sunday morning, how Paul's relationship with the Lord was, you know, you could just see it throughout the book of Acts when he gets saved up to this point, how um, his relationship with the Lord is just developed and the intimacy um, of his relationship with the Lord and, um, you know, God's ability to be able to, to get through to Paul and, you know, really get Paul's ear in his heart. You know, when you think about it, when you read, you know, Galatians, First and Second Corinthians, when you read the book of Romans, when you read First and Second Thessalonians, you, I mean, you see Paul's heart for the church and the way God is just ministering to the church through him. So it's just, it's, it's really cool to see um, you know, from chapter 9, this guy out to destroy the church, you know, and some 20 years later, he's, you know, an integral part of the church. You know, God can do anything with anyone who's willing to bend the knee to his lordship and acknowledge his word. And I hopefully, you know, as you guys read through the book of Acts, you see that. You see just how... Um, how a relationship develops and just how faithful God is. So I, I'm, I'm enjoying uh, going through this again, um, just looking at Paul's life. But in verse 27, he's, okay, so we're, we're, what's he doing now? He's, he's um, on his way back to Jerusalem. He wants to get there, hopefully before Pentecost. He's got an offering that was taken through um, the Gentile churches as he was going on. Um, his third missionary journey. So he wants to get that back to Jerusalem. Uh, and it's a big deal, right? It's the Gentile church giving 
to the, 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 to the church that was predominantly Jewish in Jerusalem. You know, and this is, um, you know, things like this is really what brings unity to the church. So, you know, he wants to get back. So he, instead of on his way back through, instead of stopping at Ephesus, he goes past Ephesus about 30 miles to Miletus. And when he gets to Miletus, he calls for the Ephesian elders to meet him there. So they're offloading the ship. They have this time together. And he's um, really giving his final address to the Ephesian elders. Probably um, won't see these guys again. Just spent three years with them in ministry. Right? He tried preaching in the, in the temple and in the synagogue and... Um, in Ephesus, three months, their hearts got hardened. He ended up going to the school of Tyrannus for two years, taught there and from house to house. So <clears throat> you can um, imagine just how close Paul got with these, with these men in the church in Ephesus. And I think I might have mentioned this Sunday, but, you know, I remember when I first got saved, I, I could remember really... Um, in, in great detail, my relationship with some of the people that were instrumental in bringing me to the Lord and discipled me. I mean, I'll never forget those people. They were just so key, you know, in my life. And I, I was thinking about, you know, these guys, these, uh, these, these elders, um, the church in Ephesus, how they were so connected to Paul. I mean, he was the guy that led them to the Lord. He was the guy that discipled them. He was the guy, um, you know, he was the one that... that you know, kind of paved the trail for them to see what it was like to be a believer and what a commitment to God looked like. So, so this is a real kind of a touching kind of time for Paul and these men. And if you, um, you know, if you had a, a old friend that that you knew from when you got saved, and he went on the mission field or moved to another part of the country, you know, you, you still have that little spot in your heart for them just because of that. And then if you remember, this was kind of funny, because I was thinking about this earlier. Remember Michael W. Smith used to, what was that song, Friends Are Friends Forever, If the Lord's the Lord of Them. And when I first got saved, everybody used to sing that song. If somebody moved to a different city, like at the farewell thing, they would play that song. It was just, it's kind of corny, but it was a nice song. Hey, did you, get, you guys remember the song I'm talking about? Do you want me to sing you a few bars or what? No? No? All right. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. <clears throat> okay, so Paul says in verse 27 of chapter 20, he says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And, you know, Paul is saying that, you know, he's innocent of the blood of all men because um, there wasn't a single part of God's word that he didn't share. You know, Paul was, and, and we mentioned this on Sunday, he mentioned, um, you know, he kind of, it's thinking of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel talks about the watchman. And, you know, if the watchman warns the people and they don't take heed to it and get hurt or killed, then it's on them. But if he's the watchman and he knows there's trouble coming and doesn't say anything and people get hurt or killed, then their blood is on him. And he's saying that I haven't, I, I, I've been the watchman. I've... I've sounded the alarm. I'm letting you guys know exactly what's happening and what's happened. So he's, he can say he's innocent of all, you know, of all man's blood. 
of everyone's blood. There's no blood on his hands. And, you know, guys, the, the application for us is kind of simple because we're, we're watchmen. We have a message, right? We know what's coming, right? We know that the Lord is coming back. And after that, um, there is never, I mean, what's going to happen is it's nothing that's ever been, I mean, nobody has ever seen it before. It's going to be cataclysmic, the destruction, you know, what the, those last seven years on this planet are going to be like. And we, we have that message. And, you know, Paul is telling them, I was faithful. I was faithful. He told Timothy in Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, Verses 1 through 5, he said, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Why? Because, verse 3 and 4 and 5, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to to their own desires because they have itchy ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside the fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So Paul is just, he's, he's laying it out there for him and he's telling them, um, it's the word of God. It's the word of God that's what's important, and hold on to it. Hold on to it. So Paul encourages them as leaders now in verse 28. He says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, uh, which you has purchased with his, blood, with his own blood. So Paul is telling them, Take heed to yourselves. And, you know, you can't help anybody else if you're not taking heed to yourself and know what's going on. And Paul is telling the, the church leaders here, and, you know, guys, just because, I mean, he's talking to these elders, but the, the, the message is for us as well, obviously. You, I mean, we need to take heed to ourselves, right? We need to take heed to ourselves to help other folks. He said that to be on guard, you know, that they need to be on guard first. Take heed to yourselves among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And one thing that's important that sticks out here is that the church of God was purchased with his own blood. At the end of verse um, 28, you know, Paul tells them that. And that's important. You know, the church is bought with God's own blood. And we're going to see that people are going to come into the church and say that that's not enough. And that, you know, that it's what Jesus did at the cross, but something else to it. And Paul right now is, is kind of setting the table for what he's going to, the verses that he's going to get into and the things that he's going to tell these guys. But, you know, no matter how you look at it, there's no way around it. It's the blood of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and verses 18 and 19. And Paul had just written this book just prior to him, you know, coming to um, Miletus. He says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. 
and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And, you know, that word has been committed to us, too, that word of reconciliation, reconciling those to Christ. And he's saying that the church, that God purchased the church with his own blood and that there's no exceptions. And he wants to leave this impression on these, uh, these leaders of the Ephesian church because we're going to see in another verse that Paul is going to tell them you're, there's going to be attacks from without, without the church and from within the church that there's going to be an assault on the church. And you know what? That hasn't really stopped since the first century. There has been an assault on the church of Jesus Christ throughout church history. They just come in different waves or different forms, different thoughts or different ideas. And uh, like we heard this morning, there's, um, there's still an assault on the Christian faith, on the church, on what we believe. And it's just something that is ongoing. It's something ongoing. And Paul is warning the church um, in the first century, and of course, um, the warning is still um, still there for us. So Paul is sharing this out of a love for the church. You know, Paul. I mean, Paul is willing to lay down his life for the church. And he wants these leaders to know what's coming. And Paul, you know, Paul really modeled what leadership in the church should look like. Have you guys noticed that? As you look at Paul, it's, it's like, you know, if you, if you ever wanted, if you had like an example outside of Jesus, right, of somebody in the first century that really was committed and lived for the Lord, you know, really, Paul would be a, a, someone that you might want to emulate. Totally sold out. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, I love what he says at the end of that chapter. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Steadfast, immovable. It sounds like Paul, right? Just moving forward, just moving forward, trusting the Lord, encouraging the church, praying, setting an example. So in verse 29, <clears throat> he says that, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in. So these are attacks from without. They will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And it's, it's kind of interesting to think that these savage wolves must have realized that they couldn't have the impact that they wanted to have on the church with Paul still there. Because he's saying, you know, after I leave, <clears throat> these guys are going to come in. And savage wolves are, you know, these are like the Judaizers, you know, the, really the, the, if you would, could call them frauds that were out there coming in with these new philosophies, these new ideas, trying to undercut the gospel or to water it down or to really subvert it. And Paul calls them savage wolves. And, you know, if you ever watch any of those animal documentaries, you know, when you see like a wolf pack, like attacking a deer or whatever, I mean, it is pretty savage. I mean, they're like on it, you know, and they, they take no prisoners, you know, and Paul is warning, uh, Paul is warning the church. And of course, he is, um, Paul is only um, 
echoing what Jesus said, right? In Matthew 7, 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And it's interesting that if you notice, wolves dress like sheep, right? They act like sheep, and they even talk like sheep. But there's a difference. What gives them away is what they eat. Okay? Sheep eat grass, and wolves eat sheep's and, and wolves' clothing or sheep's clothing. Right? If you see a sheep eating another sheep, you know it's a wolf. Right? And it's a dead giveaway. It's a dead giveaway. Because the, the sheep that I know, you, there's a few of them on the wall out there that Richard put out there. They're just... They're just Eating the grass, right? You don't see the sheep eating each other, right? And Richard should have put a little sheep out, a sheep in wolf's clothing or a wolf in sheep's clothing. I would have had another analogy, Rich. But, you know, basically that's how you know what, what's, what's going on. You know, wolves in sheep's clothing. And then he says in verse 30, also from among yourselves, now these are attacks from within the church, men will rise up speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. And, you know, it's sad, but envy, pride, a critical spirit, it's one thing or another where men will rise up from within the church, whether it's because of ambition and, and just trying to draw people away unto themselves. You know, and it's, um, it's really, um, it's discouraging. It's sad to see that. But it happens, and Paul is warning the church. He's warning these folks, these leaders at Ephesus. This is going to happen. You know, beware. There's going to be people, you know, ambition could be a good thing and it could be a bad thing, depending on how, you know, how it translates in your life. But Paul is telling these guys here that they're going to draw away disciples from their self. They're going to they're destroy the unity in the body. They're going to cause division. And Paul is letting them know you can't have that. You can't have that. Church discipline is important. When it's done right, it's very effective. And Paul is just warning these guys, there's going to be attacks from without, and there's going to be attacks within. He's telling them, take heed to yourself. Be aware of this stuff. Know what's going on. You know, don't have this, like, um, naive mentality that everything is okay. And you know when he's talking about when he's talking about taking heed to yourselves and you know he's calling them to protect the church. And that you know there's a lot of things going on um throughout um the church and outside of the church that as believers we need to be aware of. Right? And um you know, that meeting that's out at First Bible Baptist tomorrow night is one of those kind of things where you could get together and um, be brought up to date with some of the different things that are going on kind of under the radar that you, you really don't know about that are political. And not that we're going to get, not that we're, not, not that we're, I'm not saying that we're going to, you know, walk around, I'm not, I'm not pushing politics, what I'm saying is that um, Paul is telling these, these folks to take heed to what's going on. And I really believe that that's the same thing today. We need to know what's going on in our culture. So we, you know, the, because the church is a voice in the culture, right? 
Wasn't the church a voice in the culture in the book of Acts as we're reading it? And, you know, there's, um, there's a huge difference between seeking the Lord to where, okay, Lord, you know, we're taking heed. We see what's going on. How do you want us to respond as the church? Because as a church, we, you know, we have um, a responsibility to take a biblical stand when, when, when biblical principles are being challenged, right? Who else? No, you know, the government isn't going to speak up for us, right? And, you know, and I really believe that, that this is a part of it. Paul is telling these leaders, take heed to what's going on. You know, what kind of doctrine is floating through the church? You know, what, what, what's going on? What, what are the pressures from the outside on the church? And, you know, when we, when we sense that, how do we respond to that? You know, and it just doesn't fall on church leaders. It falls on all of us in the church to understand what's going on. And you know what? If you don't say a thing about it publicly or whatever, but you know what? We pray. You know, we understand concerns. If you're not, um, if you don't feel comfortable with certain things, then, hey, you know what? Pray. Pray. But... I really believe that, that Paul is telling these guys, you need to know what's going on. You need to understand. He tells them in verse 34, I mean 31, therefore watch, right? Therefore watch. And that's what, you know, an overseer does. He needs to know what's going on in the church. Let me read a little, another section out of Ephesians. And it's kind of interesting. Paul is, you know, Speaking to these guys, and of course he's not going to write this letter till, you know, he's back in till he's in Rome. But listen to what he says in chapter four, and as far as you know, having these um, these men understand the trends and the wind of doctrines that are floating around inside the church and outside the church. Um, chapter four, verses eleven through sixteen, it says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but what? Speaking the truth in love, and we may grow up in all things and into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Understanding what's going on, having that discernment. And these, you know, these leaders called to equip the church. To equip the church. It tells them in verse 31, at towards the end of it, that remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. So for three years, Paul's telling them for three years. You know, we worked at this together. I warned you, day in and day out. You know, you can, you can just see that, you know, like what we just read in 1 Corinthians, that he's steadfast, he's immovable. He's, he's moving forward, 
and he's moving forward with the church. Three years spending with these guys, day and night. And he said, I didn't cease, you know, I, I never stopped warning you day and night of what was coming. But, you know, what an example for the church today. That we, could we say, I, I know I can't say 100% that I have not ceased to warn those people that I know that aren't saved day and night of what's coming. You know, being faithful to be consistent with, with, with sharing the gospel. It's, and you know what I love about when, I, when you get challenged by the word of God, it's encouraging because there's no condemnation. You know, when God encourages you, it's not like he's pointing his finger in your face. He's encouraging you with his arm around you and saying, come on, get back in the fight. Don't worry about it. All right, let's, let's get back at it. You know, we could be encouraged by that. You know, God is awesome. He is awesome. And, and, you know, when he's encouraging us, that's what it is. That's what it is. So verse 32 is, is really... Um, I don't know, it's one of my, um, I don't say, one, maybe not one of my fa most famous verses or popular like the verses, but it's fit, the way it fits here, the way Paul puts it in here, it's, it's just awesome. So in light of all that he's set up to this point to the church, all the, you know, that the attacks are coming from within, there's going to be attacks from without, you know, not sparing the flock, there's going to be these ravenous wolves, in verse 32, he says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What else could he do? I mean, he couldn't do anything better than that when you think about it. He says, Now, brethren, I commend you to God. <laughs> he says, I'm not going to be here you know, there's going to be some crazy things going on, but guess what? I'm commending you to God. Is there any better place that we could commend somebody to but to God and to God's care? Paul's saying, I'm going to be gone, but guess what? I'm just, I'm just me. I'm commending you to God. I'm leaving you in God's hands. What an encouragement for the church. You know, as much as it is going to break their heart to see Paul leave, Paul is telling them, hey, you know what? It, it isn't about me. It never was about me. I'm commending you back to where you need to be, to God, back to his care. You know, I'm going to miss you guys, but I'm leaving you in good hands. I'm leaving you in good hands. And so, so the first thing, he commends them to God. And the second thing, then he says, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul, he's leaving, headed to Jerusalem, probably is never going to see these guys again, but he does the very best thing that he could do for these men and for the church. He's going to entrust them to God and to his word. It's awesome. What a, what a, way, to, what a way to go. What a way to go. Think about that. And you know what? God's word, it's, it's God's word that strengthens us. It's God's word that builds, it up, builds us up. And in addition, it's God's word that gives us an inheritance, right? 
It will secure you. It's the foundation that we build our lives on. Paul is giving them everything that they need, everything that they need to move forward while he's gone. Everything that they need. And you know what? That's all we need, right? The Lord and his word. You know, it's, sometimes you're, you read past verses like that, but just to think, he's looking at these guys eyeball to eyeball and just telling them how much he loves them, warning them what's going to be happening. And he doesn't leave them on like this negative note, like all oh, these wolves are coming in, get ready, you know. No, he's saying, hey, you know, this stuff's going to happen, but you know what? I'm commending you to God and his word. You don't have anything to worry about. Just stand fast. Be immovable. Keep preaching the word of God. Don't, don't give in. Understand what's going on. You know, educate the church. Encourage the church. You know, just encouraging them and then leaving them in God's hands. It's amazing just to see Paul's heart and his love for these leaders in the church. So then he kind of clears maybe some misunderstandings about what people might think about him. He says in verse 33 and 34, he says, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. So really, basically, Paul is telling him, you know, I, I, I was, you couldn't buy me. You know, you couldn't, um, you know, I, I wasn't a hireling. You know, it, it didn't make any difference. Um, he, he didn't covet any money or he wasn't in it for the money. And he says, yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He said that he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. So Paul is telling him, hey, look, I showed up. I worked, provided for myself. Wasn't a, you know, I wasn't, you know, looking to, to you or the church for anything. Uh, and the people that were with me, I provided for them. You know, and Paul, you know, keep, you kind of kind of get an eye, you know, keep in mind of what's going on in his head and what's going on around him. The Judaizers, the religious leaders, they were, they were into this for themselves. The money, the prestige, look at me, look how cool I am, you know, uh, I'm this white, you know, and Paul is saying, hey, you know what, that's not where it's at. I came in, I provided for myself, provided for those folks that were with me. It isn't about, it isn't about me, it isn't about all the great things I do, it's all about Jesus Christ and him crucified, it's all about the gospel. We've been bought with the blood of Christ. You know, he doesn't want any, you know, he doesn't want any attention. He doesn't want any of it. And he's leaving, letting these guys know this is the example. You know, you, if you don't work, you don't eat. You know, this, you know, I'm not here to be a drain on the church. I'm here to minister to the church. And it's just amazing to see his heart and how he wants to make sure that um, he's leaving, even in these, these statements, he's letting, um, he's letting the church know that um, these folks that are coming in you should be able to see them a mile away because they're going to be nothing like me. They're not, they're not a thing like me. They're all about themselves. They don't care about you. They just care about, you know, it's all about them. It's all about them. And you can see that sometimes um, in, in some of the churches that are out there. It's, it's uh, more about 
how many books are sold by the senior pastor or whatever. And sometimes that's good, right? I'm not saying it's bad. But, you know, you just need to have a little bit of discernment. So let's read the last couple of verses, verses 38, 36 and through 38. And if you, you could probably do this tonight when you get back home. But read these kind of verses in light of what we've been talking about. And you kind of get the, just the heart, you know, just really the emotion of it all. It says, and when, uh, they had, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And then um, they, all sw- <laughs> they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. You know, what a, a, just an emotional moment, you know, of these men in ministry for so long together. And, you know, they know, they know that, you know, Paul's determined to go to Jerusalem and they already know that, that things are not going to work out well for him there. I mean, it, in chapter 19, they already told him, Paul, don't go. <laughs> things don't look good when you get there. And we're going to see in the next chapter that they're going to tell him, Paul, don't go. In the chapter we just read, Paul, don't go. But, you know, Paul is bound and determined to go. So, um, you know, they're, they're like hanging on each other, just, you know... <laughs> Sad about the whole thing, the whole separating. It says, sorrowing most of all uh, for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. So a real, um, a real heartfelt moment for them in the church, and um, just the unity there. It's just a beautiful picture of the of the body of Christ. So, verse chapter twenty one. So Paul ends up tearing himself away from these guys, and he's now he's working his way from Miletus back to back to Jerusalem still. So let's read um, let's read a couple of the verses going into chapter twenty one, and it said, "Now it came to pass that when he had departed." Uh, from them, he set sail, running a straight course. We came, so Luke obviously is with him now. We came to a coast, and then the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And those are like little 20 to 25-mile little trips. So as, as he's working his way back to get back to Syria. So verses 3 and 4, it says, And as we had sighted Cyprus, so from Patera, they're, they're going to leave on a bigger ship. But it says in verse 3, And when we have sighted Cyprus, we passed on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed, and landed at... They landed someplace, and I don't think I copied the rest of the verse. And landed there for... The ship was to unload for her cargo. And finding disciples, uh, we stayed in Tyre for seven days. And then Paul, through the Spirit, um, and then they told Paul, through the Spirit, not to go up to Jerusalem. So they're traveling back. They get to Tyre, which is in Syria. It's north of Caesarea. And in verse 4, we see that um, the disciples there had told Paul um, through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. 
And it's interesting that, I, as a side note, you know, this is the first time that you hear that there were disciples there in Tyre. And there, some of the commentators believe that actually Paul planted those churches when he started to persecute the church when everybody left Jerusalem. You know, they were, went all over the place and that they believe maybe the church was, was started there. So let's read, read on a little bit, ver verses 5 and 6. It says, When we had come to the end of those days, um, and we departed on our way, uh, they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave one, one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. So, you know, their entire were just seven days and you know you can see the closeness that um that was developed in in their relationship as they were there that they, everybody came and, and kind of saw them off so in verse seven it says and when we had finished our voyage from tyre we came to ptolemus greeted the brethren and stayed there with them a day that's in, in northern israel and then verse eight and the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea. So that's about a 60-mile trip from Ptolemus. And we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed there. So I want to spend a few minutes on this, this visit, if you will. I think you've you got to, get, if to give this a little thought. This is one of those kind of meetings that you'd like to be there for because you have to think about this. Roughly 20 years before this was really Paul's, well, Saul's first encounter, I mean, or Philip's first encounter with Saul. Because if you remember, when Stephen was stoned, Saul was there, right? not so much holding, but everybody had their clothes at his feet. He was like watching, you know, everybody's clothes while they were stoning Stephen. But Philip was there too. I really believe it. That Philip was there too, and he witnessed all of this. So you have to kind of, with that in the back of your mind, think about the last time that Philip saw Saul or Paul when he was consenting to the death of Stephen. And he was an enemy of the church at that point. Right? In Acts 7.58 it says, And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So, and as we kind of follow this, this whole sequence of events before um, Philip gets to Caesarea, it says in chapter 8 of Acts, verses 1 through 6, it says, Now Saul was consenting to his death, and at that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial. Could Philip have been one of those devout men? I don't know. He was one of those seven chosen in chapter 6. 
and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who went everywhere, scattered, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken of Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles he did. So a lot of really, a lot of cool things happen in those chapters with Philip in the rest of chapter 9. Um, he ends up ministering to the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, what, after he's done baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch, um, right, he's like transported, boom, to, and he's, he's, the Lord just removes him. And Philip eventually ends up in Caesarea. And obviously, 20 years later, here he is. It's, we're going to find out he has four daughters that are prophets. But it's, um, the, and, you know, as I was thinking about it, I'm thinking, you know, he must know that, um, he must know that Paul is on his way. Now, it's no longer Saul, it's Paul. And Philip has heard, uh, you know, he probably knows the whole bio, right, of, of Paul by now. He knows who he was when he was Saul. And he's heard some testimony of what he's been doing over 20 years. And here he is knocking on the door. And it's just kind of interesting to think what was going through Philip's mind as he's, you know, going to the door, if you will, to let in Paul. And it's just, I don't know, maybe I, I thought about it too much. Do you guys think that's interesting at all? What's going No, No, David? All right. No, so just what's going, you know, I would, be, I would think that way. You know, I would think that, well, I did think that way because I, I just said it. That it's just the, the personalities, you know, because Philip would seem like a totally different person than Paul. So here they are face to face. And, and what do you think happened? You know, I think that when they opened the door, that there was like this embrace you know, I believe that even before Paul got there, Philip years ago had worked through all of this and forgiven him. I really believe, obviously, Paul um, would want to be the recipient of the forgiveness there. But the whole thing just led me to think about just how important forgiveness is and how it brings healing in relationships, no matter how volatile they could have been at one time. You know, that just forgiveness. That just, you know, somebody could wrong you and you can just look them in the eye and just say, I, I forgive you. You know, because it's, a, it's like a two-edged sword. You, you could forgive and be free or you could not forgive and be in bondage to whatever that situation is or that person. And, you know, because I was... You know, you think about it, you know, at first I thought, you know, maybe Philip is real apprehensive. He doesn't know what to expect. And maybe Paul is thinking, you know, I did some pretty crazy things. You know, I don't know if this guy could forgive me. I mean, so when it's all said and done, it's just a beautiful picture of, of forgiveness and just love. And it really, it's, it's hard to say that... Um, with, with that in mind, to say that, gee, I don't know if I could forgive that person. 
when you think of the examples throughout, you know, throughout even Stephen before he was stoned, what did he pray? He asked God to forgive them. Jesus said the same thing on the cross. You know, forgiveness. It's just a, it's so essential for a healthy church, and it's so essential for a healthy believer to, um, to really understand the importance of forgiveness and to be able to look in the mirror and say, you know, no matter what's happened, you know, you, you, you just got to come to terms with that. Because it's really, it's a hard issue, right? Being able to forgive, it's, all, it's, a, it's a selfless thing. Especially if you feel you're wrong, and now all of a sudden the Lord is saying, well, forgive him. Well, I don't want to forgive him, Lord. Well, forgive him anyway. You know, I mean, it's that battle, right? But it's, it's a battle that we, you know, we want to we lose that battle and just win out on just giving in to what the Lord would have us, um, what the Lord would have us do. So anyway, that was my thought when I was reading this. So I think it was, um, I think it could have been an interesting place to be. I would have liked to have been in there after they all went inside and ate and they were hanging around telling you know, different things, sharing different things that the Lord had done. Like, wow, could, you know, this happened. And, oh, Paul, I wish you were there. You know, just that interaction. Don't you think those guys did that? I think they did, had a blast. They probably just got stuffed on pizza and just talked about the goodness of God and just what God was doing, how the ministry was growing. You know, Paul, you should have been there after I baptized that eunuch. The Lord just snatched me and brought me. I mean, those things happened. I mean, I, I would be excited if God transported me from Rochester to Brooklyn and I was able to tell somebody about it, I, there'd be a little bit of excitement there. Like, wow, did you, you, know, you know how I got here? You know, but it's the truth, right? I mean, if it's in here, if it's in the Bible, it's true. So that actually happened. And I think Philip probably never forgot that. I baptized him, and the next thing I know, I was here. It sounds weird, but it's true. I, anyhow, so in, you know, just some of the guys that, um, that Paul was hanging out with, you know, the guys that were with him, uh, just a, a, you know, they're all mentioned there, but just an interesting group of guys. Just, I'll skip that part. That was kind of interesting for me, but. We don't seem to be on the same page about interest this, tonight, but anyway, all right. So let's look at verses seven. No, let's look at verses seven through twelve, and we'll see where we get. It says, "And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, and we came to Ptolemus, I greeted the brethren. And the next day, um, we who were Paul's companions departed, came to Caesarea." to the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with them. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And um, there are some commentaries that believe that, they, um, that these four daughters gave, were vital resources to some church history, getting close to the end of, uh, you know, in the late 90s. And then in verse 10 it says, As we stayed there many days, a certain prophet named Abigus came down from Judea. So Paul, they're, they're relaxing in Caesarea. Agabus comes down and is going to give Paul his second warning. And this isn't uh, the first time that Paul has met Abigus. 
Agabus. And it was probably roughly 15 years prior to this when Abigus had, Agabus, why did I call him Ag, Agabus, had worked together uh, in this famine relief program in Judea. And that's in Acts 11, 27 through 30, where he prophesies that there's going to be a, this um, famine uh, throughout the land. And uh, Paul and Barnabas are kind of delegated um, to go make, get the collection and deliver it to, um, to Jerusalem. So Paul um, and Agabus know each other. You know, they've been in ministry earlier on, years before. So Agabus is going to give Paul another warning about going to Jerusalem. And in verses 11 and 12, it says, And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And now when we heard these things, um, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. So once again, Paul is being warned not to go to Jerusalem. This time, they're not only, not only, he's not only hearing that, um, that something's going to happen there, Agabus is telling him exactly what's going to happen when he gets there. So he delivers, the, really, it's this dramatic message that he's going to be bound and he's going to be led away by the Gentiles. Um, in verse 4, we already saw in this chapter that, you know, that they didn't want him, told him not to go up to Jerusalem. So it seems like the word is not to go to Jerusalem. Or with Agabus, it's not so much not to go, but this is what's going to happen to you when you go. So it's interesting, Abigus doesn't tell him not to go to Jerusalem. He just tells him what's going to happen to you when you get there. So he predicts that, but he doesn't forbid him from going. So everybody's telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Agabus tells them what's going to happen to him when he gets there. But Paul had and was determined um, to go to Jerusalem. So I guess the, the, the question is, is was, should he have gone or shouldn't he have gone to Jerusalem? And I, you know, it's, I'm going to leave you hanging on that one because we might not get that far. But look in verse 13, what Paul's response to what they're telling him. Okay, in verse, um, we'll read verses 12 and 13 together. It says, then when we, Luke, heard these things, both we and those that were together from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, and he said, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, that's a powerful statement. What Paul is saying, it, you know, basically he's, he's saying again what he's already said in chapter 20, that he's going. 
He's going. He's bound and determined to go. If it costs him his life or not, he's going. And that level of commitment, that level of commitment, I'm going. You know, um, I really believe that, you know, this was something that Paul just couldn't escape. It was one of those, you know, every day, every night before you go to bed, when you wake up in the morning, you know, I, the Lord wants me to go to Jerusalem. And we see that when he's in chapter 23, he's actually um, in the barracks as they just saved him from another riot. And the Lord speaks to him that night and tells him, Paul, you, you know, you're, you're on track. You know, you're going to go to Jerusalem and you're going to go to Rome. You know, so he's been on track. And it's interesting because prophecy is, is an interesting thing. You know, a word, a word from the Lord. Uh, and I really believe that, well, what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. Okay? So my first church, the first church I went to when I first got saved, kind of leaned toward the Pentecostal part of the church. And where prophecy was accepted as accurate, but sometimes not accurate. And let me explain what I'm saying. Uh, but even when it's right, it's still imperfect. Okay? We need to realize that it's the Holy Spirit moving through a perfect, I mean a person, right? So an imperfect human, and sadly, you get a certain aspect of that humanity in the message that's being communicated. So think about it. You know, I, I really believe that the impression that these folks had was from the Lord, was from the Holy Spirit. Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, something bad is going to happen. You know, it isn't like that they were, uh, I mean, they were really sharing what they felt that the Lord had put on their heart. Now, was it the whole message? Was it was it the whole complete story? No, but, you know, like Paul said, we know in part and we prophesy in part. So these folks, the impression they're getting through praying and, you know, just seeking the Lord is, you know, they're feeling, hey, Paul, you know, don't go to Jerusalem because something bad's going to happen. But Paul is saying, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I'm bound to go. I'm bound to go. I know that this is what the Lord wants me to do. And... It's just so just the way that it the way that it's communicated, you know, and you have Paul saying, "I'm bound to go." Agabus is saying, "If you go, this is what they're going to do," and it did happen to him, right? So sometimes, you know, in the church, it's how you communicate that. You know, I, I've heard stories where pastors have said, "Oh, people said, oh, no, don't get on that plane. You know, the plane's going to crash," or you know. You know, some of that stuff is like way out there. But th what's happening here is I, I really believe it's sincere. It's the way it happens in the church. People, you know, they're seeking the Lord. You know, the Holy Spirit gives them, you know, this impression like, you know, hey, you know, don't go because, you know, something is going to happen there. And then Barnabas, you know, Agabus says, yeah, this is what's going to happen. So they're, they're trying to warn Paul. And I, they're sincere. It's not like they're, you know, they're just doing what they feel that God has put on their heart. And 
I think that's the way, it, you know, prophecy at times works in the church. Somebody gets a word, they share it. You know, I learned a long time ago, people have told me the Lord told me this or the Lord told me that pertaining to me. And, um, you know, I, I've learned to pray about anything I hear, it, no matter how it sounds, because who knows? I mean, I'm not, if somebody has a word for me, I'm, I take it serious, and I just pray about it. And however the Lord leads. And, you know, these people were sharing a word with Paul. And Paul was saying, I hear you. And I understand. Because he even said, and I think it's in verse 23 of chapter 20. And he, he was telling them, yeah, the Holy Spirit has already told me that. That, that something awaits me there. And, and, and the whole concept of it, and we'll stop here. The whole, the whole thought of it all is that this is the church functioning. People are praying for Paul, and they're getting a sense that something bad's going to happen. They're sharing it with him. And Paul is saying, yeah, I already know the Holy Spirit's already witnessed that to me, but I'm determined and bound I have to go no matter what because I know that this is where the Lord wants me. So it's really an interesting picture because they weren't trying to talk Paul out of something. They were just, they love him. They're concerned about him. They're just trying to speak into his life. And Paul is having this dialogue with them and saying, I hear what you're saying, but I, I got to go. I got to go. And you know what? There were, it was just a beautiful picture of you know, just the flow of the church. And you know what? Paul is going to go there, and Paul is going to get, um, he's going to be accused falsely. Um, you know what? But he's, gonna, he's faithful to go to Jerusalem because that's where the Lord wanted him to go. And, you know, his next stop is going to be Rome. And, you know, he didn't know how he was going to get to Rome, but he knew that was the next stop. And, you know, the way all of this unfolds, you just see God's hand in it all. And you just see a beautiful flow, even of the church, and ministering to Paul, and, you know, Paul getting shipwrecked. And, you know, just, you know, God's hand is in it all, even though it doesn't look like it. When you stand back and you look out and you see shipwreck, riots, you know, rested again. And you look at all of the drama and all of the things going on, but yet God is getting Paul where he wants him, for the reason he wants him there, when he wants him there, and the church is doing it all together. You know, they love Paul. Paul, don't go. It's not going to be good. And Paul's saying, no, I got to go. God wants me to go there. Pray for me. You know and it's the way the church should function. You know, there's no, I don't see any, um, I don't see any pride in this. I don't see any, Paul, you better listen to me. You know, I see love. I see concern. I see people motivated out of a love for another believer. I really think it's really a beautiful picture of the church. So, you know, and that's, you know, that's how, you know, the church, we have to, you know, we have to give and take. We have to be gracious, we have to be understanding, we have to be forgiving. We have to realize that, you know, the, we're interacting, I mean, we're family. You know, we've all been bought with the blood of Christ. And, you know, we all owe each other that respect and that, you know, that love as believers. And you see it here in this church. You know, they're just loving Paul and they don't want, they, they don't want anything to happen to him. He's their spiritual father. I mean, they love this guy. And if they could speak into his life and spare him, 
I mean, why not? And I, that's their heart, I really believe. They just love him, and they don't want anything bad to happen to him. And Paul's saying, I know, but I got to go. I got to go, and he did. And, um, you know, a lot of really, you know, really, the rest of the book of Acts is really pretty cool. A lot of really interesting things happen. But God's hand is all over it, of course. Right? So anyway, I will leave you on that note. And um, the next time, I, the next first Sunday night, uh, we'll pick up where we left off. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you so much, God, for tonight. And, Lord, I hope that... Um, I hope I kind of communicated the heart of this church and the love that they had for Paul and how that translates into our life and the love that we should have for one another, obviously for you first and foremost, Lord, and that, that God, we would be a church that would be um, edifying and uplifting and encouraging and challenging and um, just all motivated from a love and for a love that we have for you and for each other and, and for the body of Christ. and. Uh, we uh, we thank you for that. Thank you for, for calling us. Thank you for saving us. And God, thank you so much for uh, plugging us in, into the ministry, um, Lord, into the body of Christ. And uh, I pray, God, that we would um, uh, just uh, have that excitement, that joy, just knowing that um, if you're for us, that, you know, who could be against us and that you've called us to, um, you've called us, Lord, for a purpose. And I, I thank you that you continue to reveal that purpose to us uh, day in and day out. And, Lord, um, it's just exciting. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for getting us home safely tonight. Pray that, um, Lord, that some of this stuff would resonate in our hearts and our minds as we settle in for the night. And that, uh, Lord, that um, you would be glorified throughout the rest of our night. And should you, should you give us tomorrow, I pray that... Um, and Lord, that you would just do an awesome work in us tomorrow as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.